All right. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. We want to welcome everyone, but a special welcome to our guests that are with us this morning. We're so excited to have you and to join you into our community and to share in what is going on in God's work with the family at Brentwood Oaks. Um, if uh, every for everyone, we're starting a new series uh, this week. And we'll be moving forward about the next 12 weeks or so with something that we're calling Parent Podcast Live. So if you've ever listened to great podcasts with your earbuds or on your way to work or whatever, this is behind the scenes. What would you? This is just the conversation that will actually be happening in front of you is the podcast that will be, uh, we are going to be... Yeah, and you'll be able to ask questions and have a little more uh, engagement in the podcast itself. Uh, we'll be recording the podcast so that you can share that forward with friends uh, or family or anybody that might be interested in that or re-listen to it as well. Um, before we get started with our conversation this morning, I will ask a couple of things. We'll pass around just a little attendance sheet. You can... Uh, uh, check your name off if you are here or there's a place for you as a visitor to sign your name that way we can uh, follow up with you and um, there's also a place for prayer requests if you would like to um, ask for prayers for anything there's a page toward the back where you can uh, write down prayer requests and we will uh, pray with you and pray over those th things all right let's pray together Lord, we're so, so thankful that you've drawn us together in Jesus and that we can have a community that can uh, be vulnerable and share uh, uh, challenges in our lives and success in our lives and joys and uh, things that we're thinking about or family members that we're concerned about. And we always want to lift those concerns to you uh, and to let you deal with them masterfully and mightily and in your time and in your will. And just on our hearts this morning, you've heard the prayers of many and the, the thoughts of many. And our prayers go out for um, DJ Mojica and the, the, the passing uh, that has happened for, for that sweet, sweet little nine-year-old. And Lord, we, so many things like that happen in the world and in life and we don't understand them and we don't uh, know how to deal with them and we just want to wrap comfort and wrap peace around those families that are affected by that and be sources of love and comfort and stability in those challenging times. So we look to you for stability and for the peace that will pass all understanding that we can have for that situation. Uh, we also want to pray for Jen's sister and just the unique knee surgery that she'll be facing and just give her peace and just free of anxiety through that surgery and through that recovery process. And Lord, we also want to pray for uh, Amanda's Uncle Rick and for the recent uh, surgery that he's had for his hip and just pray for uh, the smoothest recovery possible and for strength and for patience as uh, just anytime injuries happen or recovery happens, you can be discouraged and just pray for some optimism and peace in that situation. Lord, thank you so much that we can just exhale and be here and be present with one another and pray for one another. And we're so thankful for and just this, this Sunday that we can invite people in our community and share the love of Jesus with them and um, engage with them. And just pray for your blessings upon each one of our visitors here and their families. And pray for our time together as we open up conversations that will encourage and spur us on and draw us closer to you and closer to one another. 
we ask and pray all these things through Jesus, and we all say amen. So welcome, oh, it's a mic. <laughs> welcome to the Parenting Podcast Live here at Brentwood Oaks. So in this 12-week session, we are inviting guests into our classroom to discuss with us the questions, how do I talk to my kids about blank? And so we're filling the in the blank with topics that were selected by class members through a survey. So hopefully they're all very relevant and timely um, and will kind of arm us in, as we go into these conversations with our peers and then also with our kids. Um, so it's not really meant to be the end of the conversation. We're not going to cover everything in this time, especially when we start so late, which is great. We love that. but. This is really just the start of the conversation, so we hope you'll take this and continue it with your friends and then ultimately with your kids. Um, so with that, I want to welcome Keith Stanglin. We can give him a round of applause. Thank you. So I'm going to read a quick bio about Keith just so we all know where he's coming from. He teaches scripture and historical theology at Austin Graduate School of Theology. Um, he went to Oklahoma Christian, Harding, and then Calvin Theological Seminary. And it was at Calvin where he realized that he was called to be an educator. So whether that was in the university classroom or in a congregational setting. So he, his aim and his mission is aiding people to trying to better understand the Bible and Christian faith. So um, since 2012, he's been at Austin grad. And uh, as a, he started as an associate professor in 2012 and has written and edited seven books and many, many articles. So we're grateful to have his expertise here today. And then outside of the classroom, he enjoys playing various sports and the guitar, though he's not very good at any of them. He said that, not me, uh, <laughs> just to uh, clarify. <laughs> and um, he is the father of three children, Paul, Isaac, and Rachel, and his wife, Amanda, who's here this morning, all of whom provide encouragement and support in both his scholarly work and his Christian walk. And I think that last piece is so amazing to me because if we can get to a place where our kids are a spiritual encouragement to us, I mean, that's just an incredible place to be. So I think many of us, if not all of us, would love to get there. So just it's an ideal. I mean, it's <laughs> probably a little exaggerated. No, sure. Well, but so just as a, a quick get to know, you just wanted wondered if you could tell us a little something about each of your kids, something that makes you proud, something you want the world to know about them. Um, yeah. And before I uh, answer that, I wanted to say thank you uh, to all of y'all who have put this on. Um, I think this is a great thing you're doing here, a great series. I'm honored to be uh, the guinea pig uh, <laughs> for this interview, um, but really to be here and, and talk a little bit about uh, parenting. I'm still learning and probably have a lot I could learn from y'all as well. Um, my kids are uh, 14, 16, and 18 years old, so we're right in the middle of all the teenage stuff right now. Um, but I couldn't be more proud of my kids. Um, I could go on and on about them, but just when you ask what am I most proud about, probably um, given I think where this conversation is going to be going, I'm most proud that they're Christians. So um, I, I think they do a lot putting up with having me as a dad, so I'm proud of them for that too. <laughs> but just uh, my prayer for them is that they would uh, remain faithful, make the faith their own, I think as they are doing. and. Uh, um, 
Yeah. Great. Well, that is really jumping into our topic today. What we're here to discuss is how do we talk to our kids about discipleship and baptism? So just wanted to start um, by reading Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so sometimes this is called the Great Commission, and it's Jesus telling his closest followers what their mission is to go out and make disciples and to baptize them. And so I think as parents, we can also see this as our mission in our home. So, but I kind of wanted to start, as a lot of conversations should start, with just kind of defining some terms. So what does discipleship mean? Yeah, so disciple uh, comes from a word that simply means student. So to be a disciple is to be a student, it's to be a follower, um, an imitator, not in this case the disciple of Jesus is not just kind of an admirer from a distance, but someone who is following that way of life. So maybe um, trainee, someone in training is probably a good translation of what that word um, is all about. So uh, think of somebody who's uh, got a new job. Both of my sons just got a new job within the last uh, week or two. And they have material they need to read to get up to speed on it. They have um, maybe tutorials to watch and learning that they receive orally from others. And then they learn just by um, shadowing somebody, by doing the job. And so discipleship is all of those things. And, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus, um, he defines it in several ways. You know, it's going to cost something. I think is one of the main things that comes through when he says to his own disciples, look, if you want to be my disciple, you have to, and usually something very difficult and demanding follows what he says there. You're going to have to give up your life um, you're in, in which you will find it. You know, there's a paradox there. Um, but it's going to be costly, but it's going to be the most rewarding thing. So that's all that entailed in discipleship. It's a long, you know, lifelong uh, process. Well, that, I mean, it's not a word that we use a lot, so I think yeah. it's helpful to um, have all of that context that comes into that word. Mm. So just to sh- tell a little bit about where I'm coming from. So I grew up as a Christian or in a Christian home. My mm-hmm. parents were Christians. They brought us to church every Sunday and um, I was, a rule follower, so didn't really get into much trouble as a teenager, but I there were a lot of things. I love Jesus and I knew I wanted to follow him, but there were a lot of things that I didn't think about or question until later, until I was in college. Um, and so, and I'm sure there are other people in this room who have a very similar story. So I feel like in some ways I was borrowing my parents' faith instead of owning it for myself. And you okay. mentioned your kids, um, you know, making their faith their own. So how do we encourage our children to start developing their own faith while they're still at home with us? Yeah, um, I think your story, like you say, is typical of people who grow up going to church. And I think it's not bad. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. The home is the primary uh, setting for evangelism. We're given our kids as a gift from God, and uh, we're supposed to teach them. They're supposed to grow up, um, you know, with the Christian principles, and it's a gradual thing. So, I'm not really sure what the, what, you know, if there's a, there's not a magic point at which they've made the faith their <laughs> own. Um, 
it's like anything important that we teach them in some ways. Like from the beginning, we teach them be kind to other people. And when they're not, we um, you know, instruct them, we tell them, no, you should treat this other person this way. Um, we try to model it for them. And then hopefully at some point they catch on to that and realize this is actually the best way to live. Um, I'm not being kind to someone else because I think dad's watching and <laughs> might punish me if I'm not. I'm not being kind to someone else just because I think I might get something in return for it. Um, I'm being kind because that's the way to be. That's what God calls us to be. And so it's like that gradual process of making it their own, but it doesn't happen automatically. Like kids, people, I think, are in some ways naturally selfish. We don't want to be kind to others. It's, so it's a, it's a learning process, mm -hmm. again, that will become their own with the grace of God, you know. Right. Well, and I guess one reason I was looking in preparing for this, just looking at some research about young Christians leaving the church and they now describe themselves as none. So they follow no particular mm -hmm. religion. Um, and a lot of these are ex-Christians, younger people. And there's a lot of context around all these numbers, but I guess when asked this group, they said their most important reason for being unaffiliated was they had questioned or they questioned a lot of religious teachings. And so when I read that, I thought, that doesn't seem like a bad thing to me to question the things that you're being taught, but why is that then leading people to leave it? And so my question is, how do I encourage my kids to pursue healthy questions they have about religious teachings while still staying in it and, and still being committed to finding those answers in Christ? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, let them ask anything. First of all, um, no questions are off limits. It shouldn't be in the family. Uh, any questions off limits shouldn't be in the church that way. Though I've talked to people who said, well, you know, I tried to ask this tough question at church and they told me to beat it, basically. You know, we don't um, ask those sorts of questions here. That's not the kind of family or church environment we would want to cultivate. So let the kids ask whatever they want. Be prepared uh, from the parental end to answer those questions as best we can. We don't have the answers to everything, and when we don't, it's okay to say that, but um, we it's gonna take some preparation, I think, to anticipate some of those questions and to have something to say when uh, some of those important questions arise. Our culture, I think, does not encourage asking deep religious questions or probing those sorts of philosophical, theological, whatever it is, <clears throat> sorts of questions. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think about my own kids. I don't think they come to me a lot just asking a bunch of questions. I know other kids do that. It could be just the, you know, their personality or whatever. But um, I don't think we encourage that a lot as a culture and maybe not as a church. But I think as families, we want to try to at least say to them, anything is fair game, ask. Um, and, and we'll do what we can to uh, come to some solutions about that. Um, but yeah, the, I've, I've seen some of these kind of high profile, at least in evangelical circles, apostasies, like uh, people who um, 
uh, abandon their faith that mm-hmm. you're talking about. And it is a uh, certainly a phenomenon in America that we have more who check that box um, on religion, none. So these religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Um, one of those I do recall seeing uh, in the last month or two who kind of did a tweet, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore, and said something to the effect of, um, there are all these problems and questions that I have that people just aren't talking about. And I'm not sure which all he listed, but I imagine it had to do like, you know, you know, can we know that there is a God? How do we know that? How do we interact with God? What can we know about God? Um, what about uh, contradictions in scripture? What about the problem of evil? What about all these sorts of things he listed off? Nobody's talking about this. Well, yeah, people are talking about this. Mm -hmm. Interested, intelligent Christians have been talking about all of these things Mm -hmm. for 1900 years, you know, and it's it's no secret. So um, to avail ourselves of those resources, of those answers, they're out there. The conversation's going on. So we need to, you know, be a part of it ourselves, invite our kids also to be a part of it with us, I think is important for sure. Well, and just to plug the rest of this class, I think we're trying to deal with a lot of those in these conversations. How do I talk to my kids about evil in the world? How do I, and how do I talk to my kids about difficult Old Testament stories? So hopefully everyone will come back and we can, (coughs) we'll be tackling a a few of those, again, starting the conversation Mm -hmm. in this class. Um, But sort of to touch on something that you mentioned there, I just wanted to ask, what in your mind is the role of the church in as a community in discipling our children? Yeah, um, well, I just I see it as an extended family. I mean, we help each other out. So um, things like this, <laughs> <laughs> settings like this, just to open it up and talk about it. Sometimes these sorts of questions aren't going to be ones that we um, bring up while we're just um, sitting around shooting the breeze or going out and whatever we might do together. Um, And so it kind of takes a deliberate carving out some time to sit down and talk about some of these things. So that's, I think the first thing we can do is just be there with each other is is a necessary first step. And then, um, yeah, um, open up about what are those things that either we're struggling with, what are the questions we have, um, and then, how do we talk to our kids about it? It's just so much easier when we're bouncing those sorts of things off of each other. Mm-hmm. As I said, we've, you know, I've got things I can learn uh, from y'all as well on all of this. So, Well, and so if you don't mind, I, we want to try to do this. We'll see how this works. But if everyone could pull out their phones, we have this um, survey text poll thing. And I think this will just kind of help us see if where everyone where we all are in a lot of ways. Um, so let me see. So if you can see how this works, you can text, the number is 22333, and then you start the text with Reagan Ward, that's my name. <laughs> Anybody who, I didn't, I didn't introduce myself, sorry about that, 399. And then it'll be anonymous, so just kind of wanting to get a feel of the room because uh, as Keith mentioned, you know, these are things that 
we ourselves might be feeling and need to be having conversations about because if our kids are asking these questions and we haven't wrestled with them ourselves and we're not prepared to offer any sort of explanation, I can see how that would be challenging for a a budding faith. And so I just want to kind of, yeah. Also, I just wonder like, uh, not only talking to our kids, but you know, talking to, If we have doubts or whatever, talking to coworkers, talking mm-hmm. to yeah. peers too, you know, I mean, sometimes yeah. it's easier to answer the questions that my kids ask me. How do I talk to my kids about this might be easier because I'm much more comfortable with them about this than it is to talk to a coworker that I right. really don't want to step on their toes, even though they claim they're Christian, they seem so off base, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, um. Yeah, I mean, the same principles apply, though, is anticipate what those questions will be and how the answers that we would initially give might be received. And then if we kind of think or have experience, um, you know, uh, where those conversations haven't gone well, then we need to go back and kind of rethink how to address those things. Yeah, but you're right. Um, it's it's not just the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems like a great idea because if they're not, they don't even know to ask the questions now and they start asking the questions later when they're outside of our sphere of influence, then who, who knows where those answers will come from. So I, that's a great idea to kind of introduce some of those questions to them and helping them yeah. ask healthy questions. I should remember that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, you may be getting to this with this a little bit, but ourselves asking questions. Right. We clearly have questions. Yeah. And modeling what it looks like and it sounds like to ask a question and be wrestling with something so our kids know what that mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the point of doing this. Um, it's just to show that strong Christians around us, strong Christians that are older than us, you know, we all have questions and it's going to the Bible and going to Christ to deal with some of those questions. And so I think you're right. How do we model that for our kids and then hope that they follow that pattern when they have questions? Because they are going to have questions. Clearly, we all do. So, um are there any other? That's oh, yeah. interesting. Are, are you going to, is this no, going please. to be on the podcast? Like how is that information going to be That's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. What are the people listening to this uh, hearing about this? So we have um, one person who says, I never have doubts or questions about my faith. And that one just came up too, so. Three, three people who rarely have doubts or questions. <clears throat> we have 14 who occasionally have doubts or questions about their faith and five who frequently have doubts and questions about their faith. So definitely, um, again, the hope is that Home Builders and that Brentwood would be a safe place for people who are exploring that and who are wanting to look to God for those answers. Yeah, and if we're not doing it already, I mean, uh, name what those doubts and questions are. Mm-hmm. Um, write them down and let's talk about them. I don't mean right now necessarily, but um, yeah. that's good. It's interesting. Does anybody else in the class have a question for Keith while we're... Yeah. A couple of years ago, they did the Explore God campaign. Uh-huh. Is there any um, 
kind of indication post that campaign if, if that had some kind of impact in the Austin area that you know, kind of mm -hmm. helped yeah. what we're talking about here? I haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't heard if there was. There may have been, but at, at this congregation in particular, or more broadly speaking, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I know just kind of we attended the class that you taught, um, the teen class that talked about a lot of these subjects with the teens. Uh -huh. um, you talked about um, kind of ways to go through the scriptures with the, or ways to look at those hard questions. Um, I thought that might be something that if you could share with kind of everybody what you know I'm talking about those like kind of four areas that you went through how to oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. that kind of fit right well and I've used that in in several times talking with people about just kind of how to approach those issues yeah are you talking about scripture tradition yes. reason yes. experience yeah. yeah so I'll, I'll try to be brief but yeah yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the point is that the scripture is our primary rule of faith and practice. So with all these, um, in that case it was ethical questions, we need to go to scripture first and see what it has to say. Sometimes scripture doesn't directly address the thing that we're asking about, okay? Um, there's no verse, for example, on transgenderism you know, that was brought up. Um, so what do you do with that? What sort of principles do we uh, gain from Scripture that would be helpful to us? Um, that's in, what does church tradition have to say about this? It's not the final word on all of this, but again, we've, there are 1,900 years of resources there that have dealt with most of these ethical questions. We also need to be able to address these, and this may get to your uh, point, Jamie. We need to be able to address these sorts of ethical issues or any issues um, from a point of view that um, doesn't immediately go to scripture because our coworkers may or may not care what mm -hmm. scripture has to say. So uh, that's where reason comes in and um, experience uh, probably as well is that um, maybe nature has a lesson to teach us about this um, ethical issue we're talking about. We should be able to address all of these issues without immediately going to scripture. To fellow Christians, to believers, that should, um, that, that scripture should be um, the authoritative voice. But to our non-Christian friends and coworkers, you know, what do they care what scripture says about it? Um, so we addressed a lot of uh, sort of hot button ethical issues from different perspectives um, in there. Okay. Any other questions? Um, oh yeah, Lindsay. Uh, so on that last point, um, one thing that we experienced, I guess, a couple of weeks ago is um, when we run into other fellow Christians who um, believe something very different than how we would interpret the Bible or tradition has interpreted the Bible or whatever, especially when you're talking about transgender or homosexuality or whatever. And that, I think, is going to be our biggest battle with our kiddos is like, well, we believe this because the Bible says this, but what if they run into another Christian that's like, yeah, I read that, but that's what that was cultural at that time. And so they're running into just other interpretations of right. scripture. And so, well, they're Christians, but I'm Christian, but we believe something very differently. Yeah. Come on to me, what would be something very crucial about, you know, your gender identity? Yeah, for sure. Um, so this it's a whole other discussion in some ways. And we ways will talk about that, gender. And <laughs> that probably we should. Uh, it's on the, should, yeah, on the list. It's on there. Okay, it's on good. the docket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, 
it's difficult. Um, I mean, uh, that's all I can say about it. And so it it definitely we get back to discipleship and parenting and all that. Uh, the kids are going to hear a certain message from almost everywhere else in culture. And so I think we need to present not only um, the um, alternative lifestyle, okay, <laughs> which is the alternative lifestyle now, is um, the, uh, I think, biblical traditional view there, but to do it in a way that addresses some of those concerns and to do it in a way that's positive. It's not we're against X, Y, and Z as so much as here is a positive picture of what human sexuality, marriage, and family are all about. Um, this is a, a model, a way of life that's going to lead to your flourishing. And so I can, we can look at sociological studies that absolutely prove that. That's not just sort of a, you know, a religious thing to say there. Um, and of course, scripture has something to say about these things too, so. Great. So I wanted to kind of move on to the second half of the question and ask to you, what does it mean? Uh, what does baptism mean? What does it mean to be baptized? Yeah, so again, I, I like that working off of the Great Commission, go and make disciples and baptize. So baptism is just immersion. Uh, I think we all, probably most of us know this, immersion in water. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's the initiation right into the church. It goes back to Jesus himself who uh, was baptized and then commanded baptisms. So that's why it's always been an, an essential part of um, the Christian conversion. And can you tell us a little bit about your own baptism? Yeah, uh, my story would probably be um, as um, uh, very similar to yours and probably on a certain level very uninteresting. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I grew up in a Christian family, um, a devout Christian family. Um, I had three siblings. I have three siblings that are older than I am, and so they uh, were baptized before me. I don't know that there was ever a time in my life when I understood anything about the Christian faith that I didn't also understand that at some point I want to be baptized. Mm -hmm. So um, I was baptized um, when I was nine. Um, that seemed to be around the time people in my church and my older siblings did it, so I'm sure that had an influence on the timing of it. Um, I, one thing I'll say about it, though, I do remember that there was um, a woman in our congregation, either probably a week or two before I was baptized, who went forward during the um, invitation song after the sermon to ask for prayers. And something, I don't remember much about any details about it, but I just remember I was struck by her conviction of sin. And she, maybe she was baptized uh, that day, I'm not sure. But um, that was an example. I remember just that example to me, and I felt for the first time my own um, sinfulness, maybe in a way I hadn't before. You say, well, nine years old, but still, <laughs> you know, it was, it was meaningful to me then, um, and uh, I wept about it and um, wanted to be baptized. So. Um, but it wasn't like a shock. Oh, yeah, Keith's baptized. It was a, <laughs> right, a thing right. that uh, I wanted to do for a long time, and, and that sort of maybe pushed me over the edge sure. there. Yeah. So how old were your kids when they started asking about baptism? Um, <clears throat> Paul, uh, who's my oldest and was the earliest on all of these sorts of things, um, I would guess seven or eight he was asking about it. Right. Um, 
Isaac a little later than that, probably Rachel a little later, and that's sort of um, uh, reflected in when they were baptized. Paul was baptized when he was, I want to say, 10. Isaac probably at 11, and Rachel 13. Um, so um, I'm always one who tries to, for various reasons, which I can talk about um, if you want, but I try to delay the baptism. Yeah, if you... So as you can tell, you, know, you <laughs> asked him about it at seven or eight, he was baptized at 10. Right. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, please, if you would share a little bit about okay. your thoughts on it. Okay. <laughs> like, cause, yeah, when, you, when your kids start talking about it, does that necessarily mean that they're ready for it? And how do you know? Right. So um, a lot of assumptions I have a, about... Uh, baptism. One is because this is in some ways the most important decision of a person's life and because it is really a renunciation of and a rejection of really rebellion against a certain way of life in um, the world that is more and more prevalent in our culture which I think we've alluded to already. Um, the more they know about that in some ways the more they know what they're um, renouncing the more meaningful maybe um, that moment and that decision of baptism uh, will be for them. So when a seven-year-old comes to me and says, I wanna be baptized, um, I would return with a couple of questions. One is, why do you want to be baptized? And let's talk about that for a little bit. Write it down, you know. And if they don't have any sort of anything more than superficial reasons, then they may not be ready in that sense. Um, I also wanna talk with them about the cost of discipleship. We talked about discipleship earlier and here's where those things definitely overlap. Um, take them to Luke 14 or something and say, you know, where Jesus talks about, here's what it costs to be a disciple of mine. Count the cost beforehand. Know what you're getting into, you know. Um, and you can tell after a couple of those sorts of questions, whether there is a maturity there or not. Certainly the, the child doesn't have to have the maturity that they will have as an adult. Um, we're all growing, baptism isn't the end, it's the beginning of a, of a journey. But um, it's, a, it's a huge decision. I want them to go into it as maybe clear-eyed as possible um, as they can as a child. And there's a certain point at which I would say, it's not good to keep delaying them, you know? I mean, it's, it, it is a hard, it's one of the hardest things I did as a parent was to say to a kid who earnestly wants to be baptized to say <laughs> no, you know? So you don't really wanna do that. Um, but studies have shown that people who, in churches of Christ, people who um, have been baptized at a very early age, eight, nine, and I'm, I'm one of the, I'm a guilty party here myself, um, as opposed to those who were baptized at 14 or 15 is where this study went. It's one I'd, I saw several years ago, actually done, conducted by Flavel Yakely of Blessed Memory, mm. um, who uh, said that when uh, kids are baptized very young, they tend to later on want to, and actually are sometimes, re-baptized, um, which I think 
and uh, I don't want to step on toes here, but probably is a, a misunderstanding of what baptism is. Um, if you understand it, you know, then um, that's God's promise to you. That's God's seal to you. You're going to learn more. You're going to sin after it, all those sorts of things. There's no real need. If you had faith when you were baptized, there's no real need for a rebaptism later on, okay? But kids who are baptized really young tend to have doubts about that later mm-hmm. on. Kids who were baptized in their teenage years have almost 0% wanting to go back and be baptized again, okay? So um, to be a little crass about it, it takes better. <laughs> the older they are and a little more mature going into it. Right. Yeah. Well, and so that was a, um, a question that I had just out of curiosity for the class. Um, again, this is totally anonymous. So just wanting to see, because your kids, there was a range of ages, um, for you, even from what, when you were baptized, and I'll say in our personal experience, I was 11 and Brandon had a very similar upbringing as me and he was 21 when he was baptized. So, um, you know, you kind of mentioned there's no magic number for this kind of thing, but as a parent, for me, it feels good to kind of start seeing or thinking about like, when are my kids really gonna be starting to ask these questions? Cause right now they're one and two and yeah. they're like, is someone going swimming today? You know, like, and yes. so, <laughs> so um, but to kind of see where others, you know, were, I, I think it's helpful to have that information. So yeah, I, I hesitated yeah. to ask this question because I'm not trying to make anybody feel uncomfortable about anything. But for those of us who have children who are getting into the 9, 10, 11 range, you know, just knowing, okay, well, my kid might be asking about it soon. So I didn't, hopefully that's a little bit helpful for some people to see. Um, and so I, we're going to have to wrap up in just a few minutes, but I did want to ask you partially out of my own curiosity. So um, I guess it was a year ago, Easter, your youngest daughter, Rachel, was mm-hmm. baptized. And for any of us that were here, that was a really a beautiful thing to witness. And there were a lot of different elements that you because Keith baptized her and a lot of elements that you incorporated in that that I had never seen before. And so just wanted to ask about some of those and why you did that and um, okay. how those are special with her. Yeah. Um, so I did the same thing when uh, my boys were baptized as well. Um, part of it is, um, uh, I guess, a lot of motivations here. But one thing, I'm not sure what all you saw that was different. There were probably several things, but um, one of those might have been um, three questions at the beginning that um, are given to renounce evil. So um, before you confess this thing and join in and partake in this new way of life, there is a statement of what is being rejected here. And again, as I said, sort of going into it with great awareness of what this is. So a threefold question of do you renounce um, Satan and the evil forces and um, temptations and all those sort of, you know, uh, things that um, kill us spiritually. Um, Facing West uh, is the uh, direction of um, death and evil and sin. So all of these things also are part of the baptismal um, 
liturgy or ritual since the early church. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the early church, they would sometimes spit also at the West. We didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> the carpet, I thought people would get upset. So, uh, and then face a different direction and just the bodily movement. I mean, the posture also says something as well as, as much as the words do. So face the East, the direction of sunrise, of, of resurrection life, of newness, and um, a threefold uh, confession of faith. Since baptism is in the name of the Trinity, there's you know um, a question about do you believe in the Father, who's Creator, the His Son Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit. Um, there were other things as well, all of which really go back to um, the early church's practice of baptism. You notice in the New Testament, it talks a lot about baptism, but doesn't talk a lot about the actual practice right. of baptism. So, like. sort of the idea also behind this is simply that if this is the most important thing a person does in their life of faith, um, then it should be a little more than get it over with uh, as quickly as possible because um, we're hungry or whatever, (laughs) right? Um, And I've been at churches where it's like that and it just feels a little empty when um, we get it done as quickly as possible and while the person's, you know, getting ready for the baptism, we're knocking out some other things we gotta do, the announcements and everything else. And I've seen baptisms that, you know, people are having donuts and coffee during the baptism and it's like, um, there's a sacredness here that's sort of lost, right? And, it's not that it, the baptism doesn't count if it, you know, is done with all those things and as quickly as possible, but like with a wedding ceremony, you know, um, you can get it done by saying whatever, man and wife. I'm thinking of Princess Bride, man and wife, <laughs> man and wife, you know, hurry up. Um, I do, I do, okay, go. I mean, people do that, Las Vegas or whatever, but um, why do we want to have the special thing and special words and special clothing and special all of this, you know, to be a part of it? Because we want it to be memorable. We want it to um, be a special time um, that does more than just the bare minimum and necessary. So. I'd like for them to remember. What I remember about my baptism was being scared of going underwater. I couldn't <laughs> swim, I never do that. So um, <clears throat> there's more, you know, some more scripture, more this, more that. When they hand me the microphone, I just kind of- You go. I go, yeah, they, <laughs> they allow that freedom here. So as much as I can and uh, try the patience of everyone, so. That's, that's well, part you. of yeah, it. No, I mean, I there's a lot that. more to, no, to say. No, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, and so, um, I want, if you don't mind, maybe sticking around for a few minutes if people have other people have questions. Course, yeah. um, but I know some people are going to want to go pick up their kiddos. So uh, would you actually close us in a prayer? Sure. And then we'll dismiss to get kids. Yep. Um, God, we're so thankful for this time to come together and uh, reflect on some of these questions. I'm thankful for everyone in this room who has uh, come out this morning uh, for the interest they have in faith. Um, in helping to pass on that faith to the next generation. I pray, Father, that you would give us all wisdom and discernment as we engage our kids, as we help um, others in this journey of discipleship and and faith. Um, We pray that as we continue our conversations, as we continue our worship to you this morning, that all we do and say will be for your honor and glory. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So next week, our youth minister, uh, James Henley, will be helping us discuss the question, how do I talk to my kids about technology? So don't miss it.